Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. It was kind of a pause in the series. We went somewhere else, but here we are back at John. So... John chapter number 12, going to start reading with verse number 12. And I also want to give thank you. She's not in here, but uh, Sister Sarah Johnson and such. And she's been broadening the cleaning crew here of late. And I've already seen several different ones uh, this week, for that matter, uh, around here. Trevor and I was over here, and I seen Sister Charlene here at one time. And then she came back another time. And Sister Jen, I seen her here. And uh, we were kind of doing some things. I was just trying to make sure I wasn't in their way. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm just probably in everybody's way and uh, such. Me and Trevor is probably Trevor more in their way than I was. But that's what we'll say anyway. Amen. John chapter 12 and starting with verse number 12. The Bible states these words. And allow me to read a, a, few, a few verses here of Scripture. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast... When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass or donkey, if you prefer to say, I'm just using the biblical language here, set thereon as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave, out of his grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him. For that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Speaking of Jesus, the world has gone after him. Uh, this, I feel like to a certain degree, my title is kind of just a placeholder here tonight. But it, it does pertain to uh, the scripture here tonight. I want to talk to us tonight about Hosanna, save us now, which is uh, the interpretation of Hosanna. Hosanna, save us now. Amen. Help me pray, will you, tonight? Father, I love you. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for every good and every perfect gift coming from above, from the Father of lights. God, I pray, oh Lord, perhaps you could distribute something tonight, God, among us as a people. God, as we turn our attention one more time, God, to your word, to the gospel of John, I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us and strengthen us tonight. God, enlighten us, Lord, in our understanding, and we'll not fail to thank you for it. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. The church say amen. Amen. In verse number 12, the Bible makes mention that the people were come to the feast. The feast is mentioned here. 
Verse number one of chapter number 12 tells us what feast this was. This was uh, the feast of Passover. That's the feast that's in question here, even in John uh, verse number 12, chapter 12, verse number 12. And so what the writer, what John is doing for us here, he's really steering, he's steering our minds uh, toward this direction because of what is going to happen, what is going to take place. All things from here forward, and I made mention of this, I think a couple weeks ago, we slept a night or two since then, but all things from here forward are leading us in reality to Calvary. Uh, time kind of slows down a little bit here in the second half of John, and we are viewing that last week of passion of the Lord, of, of leading up to his trial and crucifix. So everything is leading us to Calvary. Everything will culminate right there on Golgotha's Hill. And for centuries, culturally, uh, we know that lambs had been slain on Passover in remembrance of Israel's release from Egypt. It was on that night, uh, the last plague that came upon Egypt was the death of the firstborn, but that coincided with what was known as Passover when they would select a lamb and watch over it for a few days, make sure it wasn't blemished. And on the night of Passover, when they would come out of Egypt, they would slay the lamb and they would eat of the lamb, each a lamb for a household. Blood would put on the lintel on the doorpost that when the death angel passed by, that it would spare the firstborn of that household. And for so for centuries, culturally, lambs, not just in the Passover setting, but in sacrificial system of the book of Leviticus and so on and so forth. Uh, lambs were used for the purpose of being slain for people's sins on Passover for the remembrance of their deliverance from bondage. And so we're entering into another feast, another Passover celebration. John tells us as Jesus is going to be making his way to the city of Jerusalem. However, the Jews were living under a different type of bondage now in the New Testament scripture. It wasn't the nation of Egypt that had a heavy thumb that was pressed down upon them. There's a new bondage that they have, that they have dealt with at various times leading up to this moment. Currently, a According to history, of course, they are under the Roman Empire. And so uh, whatever Rome is dictating, they are trying to bow and bend to whatever they wanted. So they're under that political authority of Rome. But they've been under other authorities throughout their history. They had been under an Assyrian captivity at one time. They'd been under a Babylonian captivity. Uh, the Persians came and took over the Babylonians. They were under a Persian uh, people. They were under the Greeks. And so it seems like uh, after one empire would conquer the other, the, the, the Jewish people just found themselves under a new political authority or a new bondage, if you want to call it that, bringing them all the way up to the modern day Rome found in the New Testament scripture. And so they're under a different type of bondage. And just as the lamb was their answer for their Egyptian bondage, the Lamb of God would be their answer for their long history of political bondage and more importantly, for their bondage to sin. All right? And so the Lamb was going to be the answer. Amen. And so according to the writings of the Old Testament, the people knew that one would come 
the writers, the prophets wrote of one that would come someday that's described as that Messiah or their Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, that one would come someday that would be of the lineage of David who would come to be their deliverer, that would come and set them free. However, they envisioned, they envisioned that they would get their freedom by force. They envisioned that their king would arrive and they would grab their sword and their shield and they would go to battle and it would be a freedom that they would get by force. They believed that their Messiah, that even the prophets spoke of, would be a man that would show up someday who would be a ruthless king that would fight and, and more than likely by violence, by violence, he would establish his kingdom and he would take even over Rome and whatever it was that they were facing at that time. And that is probably why so many Jewish people missed the Messiah, or misseeing Jesus as their Messiah because they had a certain uh, narrow tunnel vision focus about what he was going to be and how he was going to be, and he was quite different than what they expected. And that's probably the reason why many of them missed him because rather than fighting our Savior, who was their Messiah, Messiah rather than fighting, he surrendered. Totally goes against what they were expecting. Rather than being violent, he was the one that suffered violence. Totally went against what they were expecting. And there were certain among the Jews, there were different sects of the Jews. You've heard us talk about Sadducees and Pharisees, but uh, another group that maybe we don't talk much of or as much of uh, in church, and that is there's another group of Jews that are known as the Zealots. The Bible even speaks of Simon, one who was a zealot. And so there was a group of Jews also, a section or a group that's known as the Zealots. And interesting enough, and to keep in mind what we have just read, interesting enough, this group of zealots, the symbol of their group, the symbol of their movement was a palm branch. Therefore, to wave palm branches as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey with the Roman Empire as this huge political power uh, that the Jews were under, for the zealots, so to speak, to have palm branches waved in the air, it would almost appear to Rome as though they had an insurrection on their hands. All right? And so picture this now, if you will, because the, the verses leading up even to chapter 12 tell us this, that Jesus has been very cautious now for several days, not just to, not just to walk openly among the Jews because he knew that there was, there was a price on his head, so to speak. They wanted to take his life, so he was careful about walking among the Jews. And there were some in, in chapter 11 that were wondering if Jesus would even show his face at Jerusalem. They knew that feast of Passover was very important important but they weren't quite sure whether or not he would show his face and others others have noticed that that if you know where he is if the right people would let us know then we'll take him regardless of what's going on so we have all of this as a picture all of this as a background Jesus is being cautious some are wondering if he's even going to show up others say if you see him we're going to take him that's the background now picture this Jesus is on a donkey riding into Jerusalem He's on a donkey with all this ruckus going on in Jerusalem, all these ideas that people have about him. Amen. And not only is he, now get 
this. He's been to Bethany, right? We looked at that two weeks ago. He's been to Bethany, right? He's had a meal with Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and a lot of people showed up because they believed in the Lord, and they also showed up because Lazarus was dead, but now he's alive. And So there's a good crowd of people that showed up at Bethany that believe in the Lord, some because of the Lord, some because of what happened to Lazarus. And so Jesus, now look, he's not just showing up as a lone ranger on a donkey. <laughs> that just sounds funny, don't it? He's not just showing up as a long ranger on the donkey, but all those people that were at Bethany, guess what? They're making the couple mile trip with him. He's got this entourage of people. Everybody's walking except for Jesus on his donkey. There's something just really funny. It's not to you, but it is to me tonight for some reason. He's on his donkey. And so as he's approaching Jerusalem, amen, no doubt others in the city, the Bible tells us they hear of his approach. And so that causes even a bigger crowd to now some that are already in Jerusalem go out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem on his donkey. Amen. And so we have quite a big crowd now that's stirred around this Jesus Christ that some want to kill. And so here it is. Jesus is here in Jerusalem. That's not hidden. He's not being cautious about this. It's evident that he's here. And so you got to start asking yourself the question, do you really want to take this man, Christ Jesus, when there's all these zealots that's swinging around palm branches, that is the very symbol of the, because whenever I say zealots, you got to understand, these were people, they believed in the Lord, and at all costs, they would do whatever's necessary to protect that. They, they were known, they had certain daggers uh, that they had, they would take the lives of even the Romans, or even people that collaborated with Rome, even another Jew, to protect the image of what they believed in. So we're, you know, when everybody's got, someone's got a cloak and a dagger, you want to be careful who you're standing around. You understand? So do you really want to take this man that they are all over with their palm trees and palm branches going in the air, which is a symbol of their movement when they might have a sword laying by their side just with your name written on it? So we got all this going on, all right? They're used, those zealots were used to doing this type of thing. Do you remember, do you remember in our study along the way here in John how there were certain times people came to get the Lord or tried to persuade the Lord and uh, even the very first miracle that he did in Cana and he even told his own mother, like, I don't know why you're telling them to look to me for this wine that they need because my hour has not yet come. You remember how many times we looked at over, over time in John where Jesus said, you know, my time's not yet come, my time is not yet. How important everything was to the Lord to be done at the right time, at the right moment, because he had a purpose. He's very intentional about what he does. Well, at this place in Scripture, the Bible tells us, and we'll read it, I think, a few more verses further down. He knew at different times that his time was not yet, but now he knows his time has come. And so he understands things are now ripe to happen, ripe to take place. And so as he's coming into Jerusalem at this time, this is one of those moments that Jesus knows and understands, this, my time is now. I'm riding into Jerusalem on a donkey at this present time, not just because everything simmered down in Bethany and now I'm getting to Jerusalem. And I'm not just doing it per se for the Passover, but I'm doing it because this is the time that it needs to be done. I'm doing this on purpose. It's so much on purpose. And the timing was so crucial that in Jerusalem, 
these few days before Passover, it happens to be lamb selection day for the Jews to choose their lamb for their Passover lamb. It's lamb selection day. Jesus, the lamb of God, is riding in on a donkey to Jerusalem. He knew his time was now. While they're trying to select a lamb that's going to cause them to remember their deliverance from Egypt and the blood of that lamb that was on their household for their protecting, in rides the lamb of God on a donkey on lamb selection day. Let me tell you something. Had it been any other day of the week, that wouldn't have had the impact that I just said. But because the same time he arrived was the time they were choosing their lamb, that changes the dynamics of everything. This meant that people are going to be selecting their lamb and just a few short days later, they're going to sacrifice that lamb in honor of their feast and festival that they've been doing for centuries called Passover. In other words, the blood of the lamb that they selected today would soon be the reminder of the blood of all the lambs from past Passovers that was placed upon doors and lentils of their homes prior to them ever leaving Egypt. But today, when they selected the lamb whose blood was shed, depicting both their deliverance from Egypt and their salvation by the blood of the lamb on this day, Jesus also comes to Jerusalem at this present time, if you may, because he was cautious before, right? About being, he's not cautious now. Why do you believe? I believe this. I believe Jesus is coming in Jerusalem, presenting himself on lamb selection day as the lamb to be selected. He's coming in with a statement. As all these previous lambs cause you to remember your deliverance because of them, I'm your deliverer. As all these previous lambs and the selection you will make will remind you of your salvation, I'm your salvation. But none of it happens, though, without blood being shed. Right? It's not like just getting a lamb and combing it and petting it and feeding it and all that. Just no. They select that knowing a few days from that moment it's got to die. In order for there to be deliverance, in order for there to be salvation as there was of old, it has to die. One writer perhaps says it best. I couldn't sum it up any better than this. He said they were cheering for their conquering Messiah, but they had really chosen their sacrificial lamb. Hallelujah. Looking for that king and that Messiah. And who would ever thought they would have found it in their sacrificial lamb? The Bible says that the crowds coming out to him and those that were about him were hollering, Hosanna. Hosanna literally translates, save us now. Hosanna was the typical welcome of a king. When a king would enter a town or a city or a place where people were, it was the normal, the normal welcome of a king to cry Hosanna, or if you will, save us now. These people then of Jerusalem, at least a sect or a portion of them, recognized Jesus on the donkey as their king as their savior and however their salvation comes and their king though operates just a little differently than what they expected he's riding on a donkey a donkey now in the old testament the donkey was somewhat of the royal steed of the old testament 
but a king that came riding on a horse was one that was bent on going to war. A king that would come riding on a donkey was one that was bent on keeping peace. They're wanting war, but their king is on a donkey. They're searching for the sword and ready to fight, but here comes what they have acknowledged, their king, because they cried Hosanna to him, he's on a beast of burden, a donkey, peace. And so the Bible plainly tells us in verse 16, the disciples don't even recognize what's happening right now. They don't even recognize the fact that this is Jesus on a donkey and this is their Messiah on a donkey and this is really fulfilling. They even don't realize what's happening right now that Scripture is being fulfilled until after Jesus went to the cross and died and such. They don't even realize it until after the matter that what is going on right before their eyes is a fulfillment of Scripture. Which is amazing to me because that goes to prove they weren't trying to fulfill Scripture. Fulfill was, scripture was organically being fulfilled. Bible says in Zechariah 9 and verse number 9, this is the fulfillment of the scripture in John 12. Zechariah 9, what he said is fulfilled in John chapter number 12. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat the fowl of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Now look, verse number nine really grabs our attention here because as you begin to read verse number nine, it's, it's almost like a, 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 a musical measure that's working up to a crescendo. Like, you know, it just starts out real soft and then shh. You know, that crescendo, as we begin to read it, it's like, here it is. It says, you know, uh, uh, rejoice. You look at all the verbs in here. Rejoice. Shout. Your king cometh. It's like, yeah, the tension's building to get to the crescendo. You know, your king come. He's just, you know, has salvation. Ah! And then here it is, lowly. Just kind of puts a real, you know. That's like a stick in the mud. Rejoice and shout, your king is coming. He's, he's just, and then you say, lowly. I mean, I was, you know, I was ready to get on the top of my heels and scream and wave my sword until you got to that spot. It says it's lowly, and then it says, riding a donkey. Where, where's the horse hat? You know, where's the flowing mane and the tail? And where, where's the sleek? I mean, where's the horse hat? You're telling me to shout and rejoice, and this is my king, and here he is lowly on a donkey. It'd be like, you know, on oh, this corner, you know, weighing 87 pounds with his clothes on. You know what I'm saying? He puts up his arms, and there's more flab hanging below than there is anything on top. That's our man. It's kind of anticlimactic. Lowly riding on a donkey. Kaboom. You call this a fight, right? He's not here for war. He's on a donkey. He's here for peace. Hmm? Look what the Bible says. He's, he's here. 
It's not on war what they think he's on war. He's here to be in war with, war against sin and condemnation and the devil. But here's the thing. He makes war against Satan, war against sin by making peace between God and man. There was a war. But this war's battle of our, its, its weapon of choice was peace. The only way this war could be won was by making that peace between God and man. Amen. Someone say amen. So here's the battle plan. It doesn't get good. It doesn't get better, I should say. It doesn't get better. Look at verse number 10. If they were already kind of the wind knocked out of them because he's on a donkey and he's lowly, watch out. Because he goes on to say, here's the battle plan. He talks of Ephraim. Ephraim is just another label for uh, Israel. So this is his people, right? These are his hoo-hoo-hoo-rah people. These are the ones that are in his corner. Yeah, cheering him on. He says, here's what we're going to do to you all. We are going to cut off your chariot. <laughs> we're going to take away your chariot, Israel, and we're going to take away your horse. We're going to take away your battle bow. I mean, is this guy really for us? You know, does he really want us to win? We're going to take away your chariot, your horse. We're going to take away your battle bow. And his, his grand thing is, let's conquer them with peace. I mean, what kind of, is that a slogan you really want to get, you know, behind? You know, you go into war, you know, you got, you got France and you got Britain. And one of their slogans is, let's conquer with peace. It's like, you know, let's do something and get him out of office and somebody else in office. He just don't know what's going on. But that's what they had on their hand. It sounds impossible. It sounds impossible, don't it? On a donkey, lowly, taking away horse, chariot, bow, going to conquer with peace. Hoorah. Sounds impossible. But the last phrase, the last phrase of verse number 10, if you realize the very next thing that is mentioned is, is the vastness of his domain. All these things that look like they're stacked odds not in our favor. But when it's all said and done, his domain shall be from sea, even to sea, from the river, even to the ends of the earth. And that all happened from some guy on a donkey, lowly, taking away horse, chariot, battle bow, and conquering with the weapon called peace. And the scripture plainly tells us, even in New Testament scripture, when Jesus was born, and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. The Bible says in John chapter number 12 and verse number 20. <clears throat> you read just a, another little section of scripture here. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. This is the feast of Passover. And the same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. See, here's Jesus knowing what time it is. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life, this should sound very familiar throughout the scriptures. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto 
life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul, Jesus says, troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's, that's very much so mirroring the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, let this cup pass from me. Not my, you know. Father, shall, shall I, shall I uh, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. So verse 20, here in chapter 12, there's a shift in reality. There's a shift in Jesus's ministry. All along the journey, it would seem for the most part, and I say most part, in Jesus's earthly ministry, he has been here on the earth for the house of Israel. He, he, he didn't make no qualms about making that known unto the people. Uh, it appears that priority had been given to Israel and the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But truly what was spoken of by the Pharisees scoffing at the Lord that the world had gone after him had come to bear on this moment. Because it's not Jews that are showing up desiring to look into the Lord or desiring to see the Lord or talk to the Lord. It's Greeks that desire to see the Lord. And this is just a side note, one of those ironic things you think about. It's interesting that at Jesus' birth, at Jesus's birth, and as he grew a little older, around two years old, but somewhere along the way when his star appeared in the heavens, there was a group of people from the east that came to see the Lord. They were wise men. They were not Jews. They were pagan and heathen people. They were, in essence, Gentile people that came at his birth and around those early toddler years to worship. And now as he's approaching his death, Gentiles, Greek people, are showing up again, amen, and have interest in the master. Both Andrew and Philip, they tell Jesus about these Greeks. And, and in so many words, Jesus kind of starts a little monologue, you know. He does this sometimes. About his glorification. And so the answer really, because they said, Jesus, these people would like to see you. And he doesn't like really address them like personally, but he just kind of gives this monologue, you know, for everybody to listen in on. And... The answer for the Greeks, the answer for anybody that was listening, the answer for the Jews and for all mankind, what Jesus gets at in this moment is this, the answer for all of them, whoever they may be, the answer is the cross. Because my glory is in the cross. My glory, again, this goes against their mind and their thinking. It's In God's kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom. The last is first, the first is last. The greatest is the least, and the least is the greatest. It's an upside-down kingdom. He has a different economy. And so he says, the, the, the story for me, the glory is going to be in the cross. The glory is going to be in dying. And, I mean, you know, that just doesn't sound too appealing if you're trying to draw a crowd. Let's all go together to Calvary and die. You understand what I'm saying? It's just, it's just not very compelling. But it is, listen to me tonight, it is the very pattern all who would be his should follow. Amen. He gives the illustration, the analogy that a corn of wheat, he says, that falls into the ground, it can't just simply fall into the ground. It must fall into the ground and there must be a death. Because if it dies, this is right there in your Bible. If it dies, it will bring forth. It will give birth to much fruit if it 
dies. Folks, this is a very good analogy that he's, that he's using for what's going to happen in his own life and what he desires to happen in the life of all of those that would be his. It's important because Christ's upcoming events for our salvation is this. There must be a death. Uh-huh. And there must be a placement in the ground, a burial. And there will be new life. Much fruit. But much fruit or new life is impossible without a death. I, and, and, and this, is, this is Pastor McGee over here on the side. But he makes special indication that it doesn't matter if the seed falls into the ground. Because if it falls into the ground and it doesn't die... He's speaking very much so all the way into right now's day and age. Because there's all kinds of quote-unquote churches that baptize. Woo, glory. That seed fall, that it gets in the ground buried. But there's never been a death. We many times skip over the little idea of repentance, but let me tell you, repentance is very important because if there's no death, there's no much fruit on the other side of the soil. Absolutely. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse number 19, for as by one man's disobedience, and it's alluding to, of course, the first man, Adam, by one man's disobedience, the transgression in the garden, many were made sinners. Yes, we're all born after what's called the Adamic nature. In other words, we're born into sin. David said he was shaping into iniquity as a result of that. But the Bible says, so by the obedience of one, namely Jesus Christ, shall many, everybody say many, shall many be made righteous by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ. What was the obedience of Jesus Christ? Uh, Philippians tells us that he became obedient unto death. That's your Bible. That's Scripture interpreting Scripture. Amen. By the obedient one. What was the obedience of Jesus? He became obedient unto death even by what course? Even the death of the cross. Woo, someone say amen. Death then, or our repentance, is an integral part of our resurrection or our new birth. I know, this may be elementary to some of you, but it is an integral part to our Holy Ghost experience. Amen. It is the birthing canal for all humanity, for much fruit. There had to be a death. Someone say amen. Again, Jesus mentions this upside-down gospel thinking in verse number 25. We hear it a lot of different ways worded and, and, and the words put in place in different ways throughout the gospels, but it's basically this, that if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life, particularly for his sake, you'll save it. And he, in this moment, after saying that, he invites us to follow him. Now get this, he's inviting us to follow him. In other places of the gospel, when it uses that save your life, lose it, lose your life, save it mentality, amen, he tells them that they must deny, mother, father, sister, brother, deny everything else. Deny everything else. He includes in one place and take up your cross and follow me. Someone say amen. 
I've said this for years. I'll say it now until I go to the grave. But the reason why it's so important that Jesus admonishes his disciples, not just to deny everything else, but likewise take up their cross and follow him, is because whenever Jesus took up his cross and he walked that road to Calvary, that's exactly what was going on. The taking up of the cross was the precursor to his flesh being crucified on Calvary. And he wants that to happen for everybody. That's why he tells us, deny everything else and take up your cross and follow me. Because if you do that, when you get that cross on your back, and if you follow me, it'll take you to the crucifix of your flesh and fleshly desires and fleshly wants and... He wants that for all of us. Someone say, mm-hmm. Taking the cross was a precursor to his crucifix. Let me say it like this. That's what it meant to lose your life. Here's, here, here's, here's the gist of it. You can't gain his life until you're willing to lose your life. Amen. His empty tomb, his empty tomb. We love, we love the story. We love the story of the resurrection. Man, we love it that several of the women that was there at the crucifix go the next morning to the tomb. And as they're heading there, the stone's already rolled away. It's like, man, I'm glad someone got here before we did so that could be done and we can go in and, you know, anoint the body. But they go in, there's nothing there. And we're like, oh, we have to let's celebrate Resurrection Sunday and Easter. Wow. But the empty tomb, listen to me. The empty tomb had a man carrying a cross and ultimately a man on a cross as its predecessor. You don't get an empty tomb without a man that denied everything else. You don't get an empty tomb without a man that takes up his cross. You don't get an empty tomb without a man that was put on a cross. The empty tomb is the much fruit. But the predecessor to the much, the, what, what, what succeeds the, 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 the much fruit, what comes before all of that, amen, is seed falling, dying in the ground. Amen. You had all, if you had a, if they got there, and there was a body to anoint, that's when they should have really cried. If they had got there and the stone was still in place, and they had to get someone to prove it, that's that's when that's when they would have lost life. But an empty tomb testifies of a life that's saved, and he invites us to serve and to do the same. John 12 and verse 26, he said, if any man serve me, notice the word serve, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, everybody get that? If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant. This is good. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So, 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 so let's look at this. To serve the Lord is to follow the Lord. And to follow the Lord is to be where the Lord is. And he that follows suit or follows the same pattern is valued or honored by God. 
This, listen, this is very, this is very simple tonight, but this is what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. To serve him means to follow him. Jesus died. We should follow and die with him. Jesus was buried. We should follow. Be buried with him. That's service. Jesus resurrected. Guess what? You can probably fill in the blank. We should follow and resurrect to newness of life as well. Because to serve him is to follow him to be where he. Hmm? To be where he is. That service is going to translate me someday to be where he is in totality for eternity. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse number 3, this is a good scripture that illustrates just what I said to you. Know ye not, Romans 6 and verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with him, huh? To serve him is to follow him and to be where he is. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Because if to serve is to follow, is to be where he is. I guess if you are to serve sin, it's to follow sin and to be where it. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, I know it's a lengthy reading, but it's a good, it's Bible. You can't tell me right now it's not good because if you did, God's going to reach down and slap you upside the head because this is Bible. But if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion. How did he, what? Death has no more dominion over him. How did, how did he do that? He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey lowly. Took away the chariot and the bow and the horse. And said, let's conquer with peace. He didn't do violence. He was done violent toward. He didn't have his fighting gear on. He had his surrender hands up. Hallelujah. Amen. But the death hath no more dominion over him. He won that. <laughs> By surrendering. By dying. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So I love this. He died once. But the word liveth is that he lives and continues to live. Died once, he lives and continues to live. I believe that's the real pattern that he would like us to try to get to follow. Die once, but keep living with and for God. Oh, glory, glory, 11. Likewise, reckon. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, sometimes Apostle Paul, no offense, but I think he has a little Kentucky in him. Likewise, reckon. Ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, as the Lord is considering all this, you look at it in verse 27, the Bible says that his soul is troubled. He said, my soul is troubled. Why? Because as the man Christ Jesus, right? Christ Jesus, fully God, fully man. As the man Christ Jesus contemplates his death as a man, it pains him. Huh? The woes, it's very sobering. It troubles him to think upon death. Yet on the same hand, he realizes in this moment that this was the very purpose that I came into the world for. The very thing that troubles me and pains me right now is the very purpose that I came down here for. This was, this was my purpose for riding on the donkey on lamb selection day. This was my purpose of coming in lowly. Right now at this time, I am the lamb required. I'm the one that's destined to die for their freedom, for their deliverance, for their salvation. Let's get honest tonight. It's difficult to our humanity to let go of fleshly pleasures. If Jesus in his own flesh, it troubled him thinking he had to die. Then don't you think it's going to be a little bit of a burden in our saddle to try to rid life of some of these fleshly things we hold so secure to? If Jesus said it troubled him, it go trouble you. It's not going to be without trouble, but it's not that it's impossible though either. Sometimes if something seems troublesome, then we would rather stop than just to go on and work through the trouble. Amen. It's hard. It's painful. In today's society, probably more than any other society in the ages of time, it's hard and perhaps even painful to deny ourselves. Whenever the world is saying, oh, look after yourself. No one else is going to look after you except number one, and you need to be your best you. Pull it to throw up in. I said it a few Sundays ago. I think it was on the, the image thing. If the best you interprets you without God, then you better find another you to become because that's not the best you. But they're propagating the world. Be the best you. Don't worry about what everybody else, which many times encircles God too. Don't worry about, you know, being religious or any of this other thing. You just be the best you. Let me tell you, the best you born from the womb is doomed for hell. I need, I need somebody riding in on a donkey to help me out But just like Jesus, where the Bible says it was he endured the cross because for the joy that was set before him in the book of Hebrews. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And sometimes we just got to turn perspective a little bit to make it through the pain, to make it through uh, the difficulty of denying ourselves. I understand there's something on the back side of this. It's not always going to be just as it is. Amen. Trying to keep track of time here. Folks, I'm telling you, you need to pray for me. Preaching out is becoming a bad thing here. I preached for 50 minutes 
on Saturday and I skipped five pages of notes to get that accomplished. So y'all need to pray for me. But they were like, we'd been with you. I said, you say that now, but if we got on the backside of it, yeah. John 12 and verse 28. Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. You're all saying, well, let's keep sending him out so he gets it out of his system out there. And Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. And I don't have much to say upon this except this. The voice from heaven is as it's described. The voice from heaven uh, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry in particular, but primarily always, but the voice of heaven is always for the people. I say that at this because the voice from heaven is kind of God's gift to humanity. And, and we, need not, we need not to uh, devalue or become insensitive or not impressed by the voice. That comes from heaven because it's the voice of heaven that spoke at Jesus's baptism. That said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's the voice from heaven that that bellowed on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James and John were as they were beholding Jesus in this changing of his garment. Again, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here is the voice from heaven now again. And in every one of those episodes at the baptism, at the transfiguration. And now it is always for the benefit of the people. You, you, you don't want to get callous to the voice of heaven. And, and one of the reasons why I say that is because earlier in our John study, the Bible said that there is a time coming when who, all who are in their graves shall hear his voice. And they will come out. Oh, God. If there's, if there's a voice that should not get on your nerves, if there's a voice that you shouldn't get weary in hearing, woo, it's the voice of heaven because it's not for him, it's for the people. He said, those that are in the graves will hear the voice. They'll come out. 31, verse 31. I'm running. I really am. Now's the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Again, the lifting, I know sometimes we sometimes say that, you know, praise services, but we're really out of context. and wrong. You know, if, if we could just lift him up tonight, you know, like with praise the world, if he'll be lifted up, he'll draw all men. Well, that's not really what that's talking about. Talking about lifting him up through praise. Talking about lifting him up on the cross signifying what death he would die. But notice what it says. Jesus is going to be lifted up from the earth. He's going to be suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. Yet in the same breath that it speaks of Jesus being lifted up, it also describes the prince of the world will be cast down. I like it. Jesus is lifted up on a tree and the prince of the world is cast down. When Jesus is lifted up, Satan's going to be thrown down. When, oh, God. What? what? It, I mean, it'd been great if we could apply that verse. And when Jesus is lifted up like he's on some, you know, uh, turban thing and four people are carrying him across because it's victorious. Oh, he's lifted. No, but that's, it's the cross. 
But yet when that happens, what happens? Victory. He's dying. And victory is going on. His last breath is saying it's finished. His last breath is saying it's finished. People's probably wondering what in the world. Yeah, he about to be a dead one. He got that right. It's finished. No, 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 no. It is finished. I am not finished. It is finished. The work, everything that's been going on, the plan that's happened from the first lamb that was at the first Passover for your homes, for your deliverance, it's finished. I'm dying. But the prince of the world is being cast down. So when the lamb's blood is shed, the prince of the world is cast down. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Revelation 12, some of you know it. It talks about the devil being the accuser of the brethren that accuses day and night. And the Bible says, and they overcame him. Him, Satan. Him, the prince of the world. Him, O Slewfoot. Him, the devil. Whatever you want to call him. They overcome him by what? By the blood? It, it wasn't his sword or his AK-47 or his ramparts. It was by his blood. Oh, how'd that happen? It was shed. How's all this happen? The seed didn't just fall into the ground. It died. But on the backside of it is much You know, if you have a if you have a seed, I'm sorry. You have a seed and it goes in the ground and it just stays there, it never loses its shell, it never dies. You know what you'll have months from now, if it never does? A seed that's in the ground. Matter of fact, if you had exact location, you could go back and get the seed. Yes, just like you left it. It's only through death. The breaking of the shell, that the germ in the seed. Plants, grows, prospers, flourishes, matures, and brings other seeds, so to speak. Stand with me. So what was thought is that, that that's helping me. That's just kind of like the voice. That's not, it's, not for me. it's not for you, but this one's for me. <laughs> but nonetheless, what was thought as the Lord's demise on the cross was really Satan's demise in the world. John 12, 34, 36, I'm ended with these verses. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. Because he's talking about this whole death symbolism and stuff. That the Messiah abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then said Jesus unto them, yet, this is very sobering, folks, if you understand everything that's going, going to come, what's had to happen. Yet a little while is the light with you. He's talked to him in symbolism of light from the very beginning in John 1. Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. While ye had the light, believe. It's what John's been trying to do all along, get people to believe in his name so that they might have life through his name. Believe in the light that ye may be children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. Let me give you a one-line summary for those last three verses that I'm talking about here tonight, and I'll close. The one-line summary. There is a limited time for responding to the light.
there is a limited time for responding to the light. You'll get things, you'll get mailers sometimes and so on and so forth, and they'll say, uh, uh, these deals or whatever are good between such and such date to such and such date. If you go during this time period, you'll be able to exchange, say, hey, I got this, you can get 10 for such and blah, 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 right? But if you fall, if you come outside of that window of time, people will say, I'm, I'm sorry as a bee can tell you, sorry as I can be. But, but that's no longer valid. Every, we all get the same paper. Get, get that little dinky thing in your mailbox. It's about all it is, a paper. Well, I'm telling you, we all get it. We're all extended the opportunity. But you got a limited time to make good on what's been extended to you. And here's what I think is a, is a problem in the world right now. People don't really, and I say this with emphasis, people don't really realize how close that time frame is to expiring. I'm being honest tonight. Don't really. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll ship shape this all up next, next special speaker we have. There is a limited time for responding to the light. Hmm. He says, I'm just here with you for a little while longer. And I'll say this, the church is only here for a little while longer. We got we to gotta be vigilant and take advantage of the time that's been afforded to us someone might just need to bow their head tonight and raise their hand and cry to god hosanna save us now hosanna. thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day.